0: One of the unique characteristics of the Gospel of Luke is Luke's emphasis on women. All the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record many of the same events in Jesus' life and ministry, but uh, no other other author emphasizes the role of women in Jesus' life and ministry more than what uh, Luke does. We saw this as we begin to, from the very beginning of the gospel, that it really opens up with the introduction of a woman by the name of Elizabeth, who was older and barren, unable to have children, and yet uh, God uses her and gives her a child, and that child just so happens to be the forerunner of the promised Messiah. Then we are introduced to Mary, who was a, a virgin girl. And of course, God used her in an extraordinary, unique way within the redemptive plan of mankind by allowing her to give birth to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Then we begin to talk about a woman by the name of Anna, who was a prophetess, and who year after year and decade after decade, until her old age, kept coming to the temple awaiting for the arrival of the promised Savior. And then we saw Jesus' compassion on women and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law of a sickness and so then also raising back to life a, a, a dead son of the widow of Nain. We had just covered that just just a couple of weeks ago. And so we see Jesus and we see that, that women are everywhere in his ministry. And what we find is that now we get into chapter 8, he continues that same emphasis of women. And he actually gives us a list of names here. Short list, but he does give us a list of women's names. And so what we find is this continuation and emphasis of women in his ministry is going to now continue. Now, let me say this. He doesn't say much about these women at all. This is just three verses. In fact, this is just really transitional or or introductory uh, material that's going to lead us into the next section of the book, which is a series of parables that Jesus is teaching. And so it'd be very easy for you just to, you and I, if we were just reading this, probably read over these verses to try to get right to really the next point. And that would be this, uh, the, these uh, different parables that Jesus are teaching on the parable of the sower and the seed. It's very easy to do that. In fact, I was tempted to do the same. But when you sit back and you begin to understand that Luke does place an emphasis on women, And and, and the fact that he almost goes out of his way, almost in an awkward way of introducing this new section to make sure that he gets the name of a few women in there. And then you begin to couple that with the fact that while he's writing this, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who is having him write these very words and these very names. Then you begin to understand this is just not in passing. This is significant. So this message this morning is a little bit unique a little bit different, I think, than what we normally do. It's for all of us. It's for men, women, and for children. But this message is uniquely for you women this morning. I know it's not Mother's Day. So happy early Mother's Day gift here. Uh, and, and now you come from Mother's Day and we won't preach on mothers. But, but that's kind of how it works. You preach as it comes up in the text. But what we find here is I think that this can be a great encouragement to all of you women who desire to be godly And it's a wonderful encouragement about both your pursuit and your service to Jesus Christ. So before we take the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking this. And I pray that this will be a great encouragement to all of you. First of all, we want to look at the pursuit. Talk about your pursuit after the person of Jesus Christ. We pick up in verse 1. So soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and 12 were with him, and also some women. Now, that phrase soon afterwards is really connecting the end of the last chapter, chapter 7, with the beginning of chapter 8. You'll remember what happened there at the conclusion of chapter 7. There was a dinner party. A a Pharisee had thrown a party and invited Jesus to be there. And at some point within that party, a woman comes in an an undesirable, if you will, woman comes into that particular party and she begins to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears and begins to wipe it away with her hair. Then she goes on to anoint his feet. And really one of the major points of it was to show this huge contrast between this man and this woman. This man who was one of the most respected men of the day, a Pharisee who was throwing this party, failed to recognize who Jesus was and failed to worship him. And yet, in contrast, you have, on the other hand, is this woman who nobody cares for, who, who, who everybody demeans, the most demeaned woman, not only at that party, but in the entire town. She was classified and known as a sinner by everybody, and yet she recognizes and identifies who Jesus is, and she begins to worship him in this just spectacular way by anointing his feet with her tears and with ointment. And so what we do is this is kind of a transition. Now what we're doing is we're seeing women who loved and served Jesus. And now guess what we're doing? We're transitioning. And he's mentioning that there's even more women who are continuing to do the same exact thing. So he tells us that this is all within context of Jesus ministering. He says in verse 1 that Jesus was continuing to preach the good news. Remember, Jesus' ministry wasn't just about performing miracles. It was actually primarily about preaching the good news that would bring salvation to those who would hear it. So he's preaching, and then he says, hey, there were some people with him. The 12, we, we get that, the 12 apostles, we expect that to be there. But what we don't assume, or that, that is a little bit different, is that there was a group of women that were with him. And so we have the list of at least three women that he lists here. One was Mary Magdalene. And of course, we know a little bit about her. She's probably the most familiar name to us. And fortunately, we think of her oftentimes as a prostitute, because there were people who said that she was a prostitute. But there's nothing in the Word of God at all that says that she was. She dealt with her own problems. In fact, seven other problems. Luke says that she was tormented by seven demon spirits. This means 24 hours a day she's tormented by these demons, finding no peace, finding no relief. And she was also a woman who basically was about doing their will, being used of those demons to do their will. Then you have another woman here by the name of Joanna and again, we, we, we do know of her. We hear of her one other time in the word of God or at Jesus' burial. But, but here we know of Joanna specifically for her husband. Her, hus- her husband actually worked within the household and oversaw the household of Herod, which means that he prob- she probably had some money and she probably certainly had some influence. But that's basically all we know about her. And then we find out that there's another name by the name of Susanna. And we really don't know anything about Susanna at all. All I found out about her is name Susanna means Lily. And I love that name, Lily. If we have another daughter by the miracle of God, she will be called Lily, all right? And so so the idea there, love the name, but that's it. But what we find here is there's also more women that are with them. Do, Do you see what's happening? Jesus is going, teaching and ministering. And it's not just a man thing. There are women who are among them. There are women who are actually there. And notice the diversity of these women. Uh, men like to, and this is very wrong. I'm going to rebuke you for doing this. You think, oh, women, you make these sweeping statements. But ladies, you are very diverse, right? Very, uh, different opinions, different backgrounds. These, these two women, at least the first ones that are mentioned here, very diverse, uh, for example, Mary Magdalene would have been, they would have been on two different sides of the track, if you will. Mary Magdalene would have come from a more impoverished background. Uh, Joanna would have been from more affluent. Uh, Mary Magdalene would have been despised in her culture. Joanna would have been identified and, and really valued within the culture that she had. The truth is, these two women have come together, but this is an unlikely pair, These women usually would not be found in the same cultural place at the same time. Culture would say you would have nothing to do with each other. You stay here and you stay there. The two should never come together. But despite all their differences, they had a huge similarity, and that was both of them had tasted of the mercy and the grace of God. What he says here is that these were women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. We know that that Mary Magdalene had been delivered of these seven demon spirits. We don't know if that was the case for Joanna. Perhaps she had been healed by some kind of physical affirmity, but the bottom line is both of them had been delivered from sin by Jesus Christ, and that's what brought them together. This is a great reminder, not only for the women who are here, but for all of us. We don't come together because we have all the same likes in life, or we have the same backgrounds in life. What holds us together is that all of us have tasted the grace of Jesus Christ. And if this whole last year, last year in the beginning of this year has proved anything, it proves just how diverse in our thinking that we are. Within one congregation, we have Republicans and we have Democrats. Within one congregation, we have forever Trumpers and never Trumpers. In one congregation, we have maskers and no maskers. In one congregation, we have those that will take the vaccine and others who will never take the vaccine. All within the same congregation. And if we focus on those differences, and that is what we determine whether it's going to keep us together or not, we're never going to be able to keep together. But what supersedes all of that is that every person here is a sinner saved by grace and delivered by the afflictions of sin. That's what supersedes it. If you have, thank you so much. If you have an amen, that's a good one to throw out right there, all right? Just if you've been sitting on it, waiting for a while. I think sometimes we do it so little, we're hesitant. Whether well, it's like a referee with a flag. Should I throw it? Should I not? Is this the place? This is the place. All right. And so what happens is, is you sit there, and, and, and this is what keeps us together. It's what brings us together in the ravages of all of this sin. And what we find here is that it's not only their salvation that keeps them together, it's also their pursuit. They've already been born again. But they're all there because they want to follow after Jesus. They want to learn of him. Now stop and think about this for a moment. We understand that Jesus was teaching these apostles because many of them were going to be authors of the books that we're reading and studying even right now. And so we understand that. But at the same time, did you know that the women were there learning from Jesus? Biblical theology and deep understanding of the word of God is not separated uniquely to men. It is for you women. God wants you to be biblicists. God wants you to be deep theologians of the word of God. Why? Because to know him and how to know him is through his written word. And the more that you know of his word, the more you know him. And the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you profess him to a lost and dying world. He wants you to be sincere in your pursuit of him through the study of God's word. He invites you in, just like he's invited his women in. And so we see this, we see an example of this, I think, really in the continuation of of Mary Magdalene. Here she is in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. She's learning from him, but we hear about her again at the end of Jesus' life. We're talking about, well, really after his life his death and his, and his resurrection. In John chapter 20, we find out that after Jesus was buried, remember there was a rush to bury him. He couldn't be prepared the way that he was supposed to. Why? Because of the Sabbath. They had to bury him before the Sabbath began. They wait until the Sabbath is over that Sunday morning, and who were the first ones to come in to pursue Christ? Men? No, women. Where are the men? Locked behind closed doors, scared for their life, the women come not afraid. Why? Because they got it. They weren't afraid to lose their life because Jesus Christ was their life. So they come and they're ready to be able to worship. The problem is the tomb is empty. They don't know where he is. And so they go and they begin to tell people. But then, note this, the very first person that Jesus appears to is whom? Mary. Very first person he appears to is the first person to see the resurrected Christ is Mary. Why is that? Because Jesus is faithful to bless those who diligently seek him. She is diligently seeking him. And when you diligently seek yourself in the word of God, that's how we do. You will see more of the person of Jesus Christ. So he reveals himself. And what's the interesting thing is she doesn't understand who he is. Do you remember this? She, she thinks he's the, the gardener. And so, how embarrassing, right? The resurrected Christ. And people all the time are saying, well, why was that? Well, maybe the sun was in her eyes. Maybe she didn't recognize him because it was a glorified body. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she couldn't see through the tears. I think probably one of the simplest implications, she's not expecting to see Jesus. She doesn't know that he's alive. And here he is alive at this particular point. And finally, he has to call her name out and says, Mary. And when he calls her name, because we understand that, that, that Christ's sheep know them by his voice. She hears them. And what does she say? She, is, she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. I think that's significant. What she missed most about Jesus is sitting at his feet and learning from him. Learning the word, how all the scriptures point to him and learning and studying his word. That's what they love the most and that's what she missed. And then notice what ends up happening. She ends up leaving and think of the significance that God has for her. Because of her, 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 her earnestness of pursuing him and seeing him, she then goes and really is the very first one that begins to share the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Because now she not only speaks about the death and burial of Jesus Christ, but now by experience, she can speak about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is beautiful. And this is what God calls each and every woman in here, is to pursue him through understanding and seeking and deep, earnest thought and searching of the scriptures and knowing them. You know, most of the time, I have to admit, I think oftentimes when the scriptures allow it, and and, and then the application of whatever I'm preaching, like today, speaks about learning the word, studying the word, I think without even knowing it, that the majority of the time, I'm probably overemphasizing the men to do so, and probably not emphasizing enough the women to do so. I think that's there, but I think the reason is twofold. At least in my own experience, it just seems like women are more spiritually minded on average than men. It just seems like they naturally, I, I don't have a biblical kind of testing on that or whatever, but it just appears to be. They, they, don't, they don't really need to be encouraged nearly as much as men to get in the word of God and study and to be a part of God's church and with other godly men. Men need to be encouraged a little bit more, which is really odd, isn't it? Seems like women are more bent towards spiritual things, yet God gives the command to the man to be the spiritual leader of the house. Seems so awkward. What it makes is a lot of great discussions within the home, right? And, and, and so what happens is, it's not only that, but again, men are called to lead. And I think that that's why in the application, oftentimes I'm coming down, and when I'm coming down, I'm coming down harder on the men, saying, men, you must lead, but you cannot lead without the Word of God. You must be in it, and you must study it. And so we, we, we do that, and, and, and we preach on that. But the truth is, God wants you women to know Him through His Word, to be great theologians, to be very deep and sound in your theology and very, very sound through the word of God. Now, men, there are some ways that we can help our wives. Yes, God has called us to lead our wives spiritually. And yes, it, it, involves, it involves Bible study within the home. and involves making sure that we're talking through things biblically and what the scriptures say. Yes, it has a lot to do with making decisions and even living out what it looks like to submit yourself, what it looks like to submit yourself to the Word of God between, before our families. But you know some other things, men, we can do? We can make sure, and, and look, this came to me this week, and I had to call my wife. I was actually just parked, not even here, and I had to call her up, and I go, I think I failed in this. I got to figure out how to do better in this. I called her up, and I said, I think sometimes I'm always looking out to make sure you get out and make sure that you, you know, get some free time to go and do and get out of the house and just kinda be you and do your thing, whatever that is. I have no idea what that is, but just go and everything. And I said, but I don't think I've really guarded your time with the Lord. I don't think I've actually sat there and guarded with all, all, all of our children and everything else to be able to say, hey, I'm home now. I need to spend some time, make sure that if you haven't spent time in the word, I need to make sure that I protect that. How can I do that? And it's not only protecting that time, it's also to make sure that our wives have time with other godly women. Yes, God has called men to be able to lead, but he has equally called women to lead women. Would you agree? Any amen would be good here. I am dying up here. I don't know how this is going. I was brave enough to preach to women, all right? Give me something, all right? And, and, and just for women to be able to, look, look, honestly, obviously there is something that women get out of teaching in, in, in that iron sharpening iron from women that sometimes they're not getting out from men. Now, listen, I, I, I don't believe that you have to be a woman to preach to, 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 to preach to women uh, in order for them to understand. I believe the power is in the word of God and the power is in the Holy Spirit leading whoever is speaking that they can understand and they can change them. Amen, ladies? Yes. However, I do think there's something unique about a role of a woman in another woman's life. Or else the Bible wouldn't say older women teach younger women. It's needed within the church. I'm reminded of this oftentimes when my wife and I minister together. We're sitting there. We're ministering to another couple. We're just, we're just talking. And we're just kind of going about um, just our way. And, and, and as we're talking, what ends up happening is I could tell that the guy is getting it, what I'm saying. And I could tell the wife is lost. And I'm sitting there and I go, well, let me explain it this way. And I try to explain it five or six times and the guy's kind of like, dude, I get it. I got it the first time. The wife is like, yeah, still not, mm, no, uh uh-uh. And so my wife will then pipe in and she'll go, what my husband is trying to say. (laughs) And she just says it very quickly and she says it and all of a sudden you go, ah, I, I got it. And then I'm just reminded that I'm not fluent in women. All right, I'm just not fluent in it. I don't speak it fluently, right? And so we need that, and so we need to be able to guard those times. But you know, as I've been talking about this, there's been something going on in the heart of the women and our wives and, that are sitting next to us, and part of that is is the majority of the women, if we were to take a poll, um, most wives would probably want their husbands to lead and do more in the area of spiritual leadership. They probably want them to be able to lead more in family devotions. They probably want them to pray more and to be able to direct and be able to have spiritual conversations and begin those things within the home. That is all probably very, very much true. And I'm sure that it's true for my home as well. That maybe the consistency is not there like it always needs to be and obviously should be. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, man, I hope my husband hears this. But let me give you one warning. Wives, if you are looking for your husband to fulfill and to satisfy your spiritual needs you will always, always be disappointed. Let me read something for you. I read this quote this week. The author writes, Listen, ladies, your husband, no matter what he does spiritually at home, will never meet all of your needs spiritually. I don't care if he has daily devotions with you and your children every day for an hour and prays with you daily and comes to church with you weekly. Your husband will never be all that you need him to be spiritually. If you try to get him to be... He will only disappoint you. Uh, If you remind him constantly about how he is not being the spiritual leader and how he is failing, that will only cause frustration, arguments, and tensions within the marriage. I am not trying to give your husband an excuse, and that is not what we're doing today. What I am saying is that the first and foremost, you need to be like Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and come to Jesus for your primary spiritual nourishment. You are invited to come to Jesus You do not have to depend on your husband. Does that change what that is? No. Does God want that to be in the marriage? Absolutely. Ladies, you're invited. Come and to pursue him through your study of the word of God and theology. Number two, number two is service, service. Look at verse three. Who, he says, who, now he's referring back to the women that we had just listed, provided for them out of their means. Have you ever wondered at all or even thought how in the world, where in the world was Jesus and these men getting their money, all right? I mean, I don't know about you. We take one week vacation and it takes all year to be able to provide for that. They're on three years, okay, of traveling from place to place. That's gotta be expensive. And so we know that they worked at one time. We know that Jesus worked. He worked as a carpenter, learned the profession from his father. But when his father died earlier on, he would have taken the initiative to take care of his family, and he would have done that through being a carpenter to provide for his mom and for his family. He would have done all those things. But we do know that he's kind of stopped working, worked at 30. Jesus retired at 30. That's pretty awesome. Uh, anyway, so at 30, and then he goes about three other years, three years after that, where he has his public ministry. Not exactly, but around there. Three years of public ministry. And these guys that once worked were fishermen or tax collector, whatever it might be, they ended up leaving those jobs and now they're traveling. How in the world, where did the world did they get this money? What the scripture is in part saying is the reason they were able to make it and to be able to survive and to be able to have food and to be able to have money for travel and have places to be able to stay and have care is that these women provided it. To a large part, these women were providing for the needs that we see for these men. And so we see them and we see them ministering. And, and I've I read one story on this this week. And it says, it, it, it's probably like this. It was probably never anything that was definitively planned, but it was probably something that worked out a little bit like this. Uh, you remember earlier in the book of Luke, the, the disciples were walking through a field and they began to pick some of the grain and they began to eat it because they were hungry. And the Pharisees really had a hard time with this. And, and, and maybe it was at that point, and this is not Bible. Okay. This is this is just imagination. You guys with me on that? I don't want you to say, I remember the time that the preacher preached. and it, No, but you get it. So here's maybe what happened. Maybe Mayor Magdalene just sat there and goes, you know what, this is sad. Here are these men, they're out here, they're doing these things, we're working, we're trying to share the gospel, and yet they're hungry. We need to do something about that. I, I can cook, but the truth is, I don't have two dimes to rub together, or I'd buy them some food, and I could cook it up and, and do whatever. And Joanna goes, oh, well, I've got money. She goes, my my husband, he's killing it. He's killing it. I can't cook. In fact, I have other people to cook for me. But if you're willing to cook, I'm willing to be able to provide the food. And then you've got Suzanne over there sitting there and going, hey, look, I can't cook. Mm-mm. I don't have the money, but you know, I can serve. I'd be happy to be able to serve and come along this. And perhaps the women came together at that part. Here's what they were doing. The Bible doesn't give us enough detail, but here's what they were doing, which is consistent to all women. They have a unique way of seeing needs that men often don't see and a unique way of meeting those needs, which are driven by a compassionate heart to meet them. And I think that this is what we see here in the text. And look, it doesn't take a genius to know that men and women are different in many different ways and they think differently and they see things differently. Um, my wife and I, I think the older that we get, the more I'm becoming aware that we see things very differently in, in a lot of ways. And I think it's just because she's tired of just putting up with my garbage. And now she's just like, well, for 20 years, I've said yes. But now <laughs> I, I thought you would change. I don't know what that is. You'd have to bring it up to her. But now you need to understand what the truth is. And so um, we're, we're, we're finding that. But uh, it, it's true that there are many of these times where we, we we just see things different. It's track season right now in our home, and and our son runs track, and and our conversations, my conversations with Caden during this time, is completely different than my wife's. My conversations are this. All right, let's talk about the race. What are you running this week? Okay, you're running this race and you're running that race. Okay, here's what you're probably going to need to do in training. What, what does the coach have you doing? Okay, great, that's good. Make sure you get this rest. Here's the split times that we're going to be trying to run for each lap of the mile. Then for the two mile, this is good. Okay, here's the competition that you're going to be racing against. So you don't need to go full out. You don't need to try to PR, get a personal record in this. I would just lay back or I lay behind the pack. Then I'd try to push it the last two laps. All the, so some all the ladies are like falling asleep. The guys are like, yeah, that sounds good, right? That's exactly what happens. And what happens in our home when we're having that conversation, it finally comes to the point where my wife and the girls, they all like, like you know, they're like, oh, Enough. Enough of this. We don't need to talk about this. But then she starts talking about it as well. When it comes time for him to leave, it's do you have enough food? Do you have enough food? I'm not joking. When they go off to a meet and I'm that narrow, we can't make it. They go off to a meet. My thought is, man, I just hope they run a smart race. He and the guys and their team, I just hope they have a smart race. I hope they race within themselves. I hope they're competitive. I hope they just do, they're just smart in it. And then my wife just sits there and goes, I just hope they have enough food. I, I just think about those poor boys out in that sun all day long. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be thirsty. Maybe we need to go ahead and somehow get them food. and get. No, we're not bringing them food and drink to the track me. No, but I think they need that. If they don't have that, we want to be able to need that. And you know what we found in the midst of all this? Is both are absolutely vital and needed. What good does it do for somebody if they have all the intellectual ability to be able to know what they need to be able to do, but they don't have the energy to be able to do it? What if they have all the energy in the world, but they don't have the knowledge how to implement it and to be able to live it out? The bottom line is this. If you're going to race well, you need both. And if we're going to run this race together as a church, we need men and women who are uniquely gifted and have unique abilities, and we need to complement each other in order to be able to fulfill the race that God has called us to race. You know, there's a some, couple of interesting things here about this, is that in, in, in verse 12, and we need to make sure that we're not we're not getting away from this. When Jesus chose the 12 apostles, he did choose 12 men. When he gives instruction in the word of God for pastors and elders, presbyters, which is all basically the same thing, he did give men. They were to be men. When he talked about leadership in the home, he did say that leadership in the home were primarily, first and foremost, supposed to be, Men, we get all of that. And, and, but, but, but the truth is, is that we can't miss, is that when God set pastors and elders apart, they were men, not women, we get that. But in full support of that ministry, were godly Christ-pursuing women, women recognizing and meeting needs. Their work and service might, not, might have been different than the apostles, but it was no less significant to the cause. If God had called those women or those men to go and to do what he had called them to do as apostles, if those women were not there, I don't know how it would have been done. I don't know how it would have been accomplished without the roles of women in ministry, period. It wouldn't have been done. So God brings those two things together. I think it's important for us to understand that that God, Jesus Christ, could have easily met all the needs. Could he have not? He could have speak, spoken ex nihilo. That is, he could have just said meal out of nothing, just like he did in the beginning of creation, spoke all of existence in the world, all out of nothing, ex nihilo. He could go, burgers, and they would have come forth. Yes, but he didn't. He could have walked around with a little piece of bread in his pocket. Go, I've done this a couple of times, 5,000, 7,000, just whip it out, go multiply, oh, bread, there you go, everybody has bread. He could have done all of those things, but what did he do? allow these women, the way that they're directed, the way that they work, what they're good at, what they're gifted at, what drives them in their compassion to be able to meet needs, to be a part of God's redemptive plan for mankind. And he gives you that opportunity to be able to come. It doesn't mean that you don't teach. Yes, you teach. We've just, we just went over that in the first point. But it just means that we have this place. You know, there are feminists oftentimes that, that are offended by really much of what I just said. Modern feminists would have a problem. They have two problems with what I've just said. First of all, they would have a problem. Um, oh, actually, let me, let me back up just for a moment. Modern feminists are offended by everything that I just said. Uh, one author wrote this. He said, modern feminists don't want women to be women. They want women to be men. And they want men to be women. They want to erase the distinctions. Now, understand something. When you erase the distinctions of roles of men and women, you begin to blur the lines of what a man and what a woman is. Is there any, any, any surprise that we live in a culture where we have more people uh, than ever struggling with their sexual identity or identifying with whether they are male and female when we are now a generation removed from the generation that said there should be no distinction between roles of men and women? It's the natural outcome of that. And so what we find is, it says they want men to be women and, and to be equal in all ways. Well, men and women are equal in worth and value, but we're also different. There's nothing wrong with being either. And when we recognize ourselves for who we are and not, uh, uh, excuse me, in the difference, excuse me, there's nothing wrong with being either. And when we recognize ourselves for who we are, and the different strengths and abilities God has given to us as men and women, we are then free to use those strengths and abilities to love, serve, and honor him. There are two problems that we end up having with this. One is with a term. The other is with a title. That's what the feminists struggle with, modern feminists. And the idea is, is the term they struggle with is the term helper. You go back to Adam and Eve, creation wasn't completed until what? Eve came along, his Helper. And they're so outraged by that, that you would say that a woman is a helper, how offensive is that? And I always remind, even when I'm doing premarital counseling, I say, what is more offensive? Being the helper or being the one who needs help? (laughs) Yes. And we need help. Men, do you need help? Ladies, do not respond. Men, do you need help? Yes. We know this. We cannot do what God has called us to do apart from you. The creation account was it, it was not completed apart from a wife who would sit there and to be able to sustain and to be able to help uh, that we meant not only not only in our homes but also in our marriage, but also in our churches. Second problem deals with the issue of title, and I'm, I'm almost done. The issue of title: feminists believe that worth is found in a position or a title that a particular person holds. That is why they believe that women need to have the same title as men. If they don't have the same title as men, they don't have the same role as men, then it's not equal. There's no equality that is ultimately there. But let me say this, this is for men and women. Your significance in the kingdom of God is not dependent on your position or title. It is not. It is dependent upon your humility in your service. Your humility in your service. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, have a great position, no, be a servant of all. If you look at the whole, the whole basically context of the book of Mark, what do we find? Jesus Christ sums it up this way. He says, the son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so, what we do is we serve. The more that we serve in whatever capacity that is, men, women, we are more like Christ. And that is what our desire and ultimate desire is to be. Every time that we begin to think, now think for a moment, every time that we begin to think that we need a, a little bit more recognition, let us remind ourselves of these words of Jesus Christ When you do good, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not do your good deeds in the sight of men in order to be seen by men. If you serve to receive the praise of men, such praise will be all the reward that you get. But if you serve like these women, now we're not talking about scripture, but if you serve like these women and and, and desire no recognition, Jesus remembers you. What a great word. And, And here's why I would say this, because ladies, so oftentimes you just don't get the recognition that you deserve. There are just certain positions sometimes that really draw a lot of attention that you simply don't have or you don't hold or perhaps the Bible it doesn't allow us for that to be able to happen. But what a great reminder today is that even if everybody else is forgiven, Jesus forgotten, Jesus Christ is not forgotten. In fact, I think that the Holy Spirit places on the heart of Luke to write these names for that very reason to let them know that Jesus Christ never forgets what it is that you do for the kingdom of God and for his service. He will not forget about you and he will reward you justly. And of course, we all understand that in the midst of that, none of us are sit back and go, hey, great, that's great, look at all that I did. It's all because of what? Because of the completed work of Jesus Christ in our life. He saved us, he changed us, he forgave us. He allowed us to know him. He gives us opportunity to be able to serve And when we stand before the throne that day and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's not us who will be glorified, but him that will be glorified all the more because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for this time together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the women in this church that I know that we would never get anything done apart from their service, their selfishness, their unique way of being able to see needs within the church and to be able to instantly meet them. God, we thank you and we praise you for all of that. God, right now, as we're about to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, Lord, and we prepare our hearts, I pray that we will think about the greatest servant of all, Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, in this time, may some be saved, may some be changed. God, may all of us repent. May all of us have a greater affection and love for you based on what we've heard this morning. In your precious name we pray, amen.